Good afternoon, everyone. We want to welcome you to the September monthly meetings of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. This is the afternoon meeting of our Autumn Conference. We're very glad that you've been able to to join with us. We want you to know that we're very thankful for your interest and for your support. And our prayer is that both of these broadcasts, both this afternoon and this evening, that they'll be used of God and will be a blessing uh, to your heart and soul. We're going to commence uh, the service with the singing of a hymn. We want to praise and worship the Lord. It's the words of that lovely hymn, Praise Him, Praise Him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Remember that the words will uh, come up on the screen uh, before you. So we're going to sing uh, the opening hymn together.
We're going to turn to the Lord in prayer. We want to lift our hearts to him. We'll take a moment just to still and settle our hearts before the Lord. And we pray the Spirit of God will come down upon us. Even though we're not meeting together, we still pray that we'll know the Lord's presence and his hand upon the meeting, his hand upon this this virtual online meeting. And we pray that the Spirit of God will, will work and speak and teach us uh, today, especially from the Scriptures. So let's seek the Lord's face together. Father, we bow before Thee. We do praise Thee for the opportunity to seek Thee in prayer. Your Word says that we're uh, to seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord until He come and rain righteousness upon us. Lord, give us that desire. Give us a burden uh, to wait before Thee. We ask Thee now to pour out Your Spirit Upon us, pour out the spirit of prayer. Lord, we recognize the dearth, the barrenness uh, all around us. We we live in a a Laodicean age when there's so much uh, indifference, so so much lukewarmness in the church and among your people. And our prayer, Father, is that you'd stir us up, uh, stir our hearts. We pray that you'd give us a greater zeal uh, in the service of the Master. We want to pray that you'll use us in a greater way. We bow before thee today to worship thee. Thou art the living God. We acknowledge thee as the only God, that beside thee there is none other. We rejoice that we can say that you're our God. And Lord, we want to pray, draw us closer to thyself. Come and reveal yourself to us today. We thank you for the revelation you've given to us of thyself in the scriptures. Our prayer is that you'll Open the book of God to us. We thank you for these monthly meetings when we gather around the word of God. We've been meeting to hear the testimony of the prophets over this last year and more. Thank you for all that you've taught us and shown to us. And our prayer, Father, is that the meeting today will be owned of God. Remember that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And Lord, we're praying for a blessed and a profitable time around your word today. Help your servant, uh, Mr. Toms, as he ministers to us. Thank you for uh, thy servant. We thank you, Father, for his diligence, his love for the things of God. We thank you uh, for how you've used him. We praise thee, Father, for the long life with which you've blessed your servant and his dear wife too. Just be near to them in these days. We ask thee to keep your hand upon them, continue to keep them in health and strength, And Lord, continue to to bless their ministry. Use them mightily in thy service. We ask thee to use the whole testimony of the Sovereign Grace Advent testimony. Remember the literature that's published. We pray, Father, that there'll be a greater interest, a greater hunger among your people for an understanding of the prophetic scriptures, the events that will proceed and lead up to Uh, the coming again of our Saviour and all those things that will take place after uh, the return again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we confess that we need thee to come and to be our teacher. We pray that you'll give us light uh, from heaven. Remember what your word says of the disciples that went to Emmaus, that you opened their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. And we ask thee, Father, uh, to do that for us uh, today as well. So we just bow in prayer now, acknowledging our need, and we commit the broadcast, uh, both of these meetings, 
into your hands today. Lord, come and be with us. Come and undertake for us in all we do. And Lord, come and bless us. And we ask thee even to, to lead us and guide us in all that is said and done. We offer these our prayers to thee. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to turn in the scriptures together uh, for our Bible reading. We're turning to the Old Testament scriptures. It's the book of Zephaniah. We're reading together the final chapter, uh, the third chapter of uh, the prophecy of Zephaniah. We do encourage you to take the scriptures, uh, open up the word of God and uh, follow in the reading. So Zephaniah chapter 3, and beginning to read at uh, the first verse, and let us hear the word of the Lord uh, to our hearts uh, today. The scriptures tell us, Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They know not the bones till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste, that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed, so that there is no man, that there is none inhabitant. I said, Surely thou wilt fear me, thou wilt receive instruction, so their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever I punished them, but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up for the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord, to serve him with one consent. From beyond the river, or, or sorry, from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed shall bring mine offering. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust 
in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, and be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly. Who are of thee to whom the reproach of it was a burden? Behold, at that time, I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. So closing our reading, just there at the close of the chapter, the close of the prophecy, and we do pray that the Lord will follow with his uh, very clear blessing. That's the public reading uh, of his word. We'd like to just take the opportunity to and make the necessary announcements at this time in the service. We want again just to take a moment uh, to express our thanks to you uh, for your interest in uh, these broadcasts. We do want to thank you for your ongoing support of this testimony of this ministry. I do be assured that that is uh, very much appreciated. We'd like to remind you that the latest edition of our quarterly magazine, Uh, Watching and Waiting is uh, available. This is the edition uh, that uh, runs from October to December uh, of this year, October to December uh, 2021. Remember that it's just £5 per year. We do emphasize that to you. We'd like you to receive the magazine. If you don't have it posted to you directly as yet, uh, do see uh, our secretary, contact our secretary, Uh, Mr. Toms, and he'll be very happy uh, to add you to uh, the mailing list. Just to highlight some of uh, the articles uh, that are contained within it, there's a message uh, by Dr. Sapphire. Uh, You will know that we recently republished uh, Dr. Sapphire's uh, commentary, his exposition of uh, the book of Hebrews. So one of the messages uh, from that commentary is included in the magazine Christ and Israel. Uh, We want to commend that to you. Uh, Towards the back, there's also a a list of publications uh, that we'd like to highlight to you. 
and a special offer, just that I'll mention in a moment or two. So there's, there's some details uh, about some of our publications. And you'll also find uh, the, the uh, list for next year's uh, monthly meetings, uh, the, the meetings that, in the will of God, we're going to convene, uh, the theme that's going to be dealt with, and the various uh, subjects uh, that will be taken up from uh, month to month. So we want to make you aware of that uh, as much in advance as possible. Take a look at that, and uh, please keep those meetings in mind and pray for the Lord's blessing uh, to be upon them. Remember that we do have bound volumes of uh, the magazine, and the latest bound volume, number 29, is available. This is from 2017 to 2020. It's priced nine pounds. Just to highlight again that we do have a special offer. In the bound volumes, you can have any three uh, for 20 pounds. So if you like three of this volume, you can have them for 20 pounds. Or if you like some of the back volumes to help make up the sets. So any three is 20 pounds. So we, we want to remind you and emphasize uh, that special uh, offer. The bound volumes are very valuable. Uh, looking back uh, over the articles, the subjects that have been dealt with, if you like to uh, consider a subject or if something comes to your mind, brought to your attention, you have the opportunity to look back through all of this very valuable material to help you in your study and understanding of uh, the Word uh, of God. Just remind you again of uh, the, the new publication, Dr. Sapphire's uh, commentary uh, on the book of Hebrews. These were lectures that he gave uh, while he lived and ministered in uh, London uh, in the latter part of the 19th century. We're very happy uh, to have brought this book, this project, to a conclusion. It runs into almost a 1,000 pages. It's £18 uh, per copy. Remember that we're not really in the business of making money. Uh, that just about covers uh, publication costs. So we want to commend this uh, to you. There's a special offer, a special discounted offer for ministers and theological students. So any minister or theological student interested in this book, uh, contact us with regard to that. Uh, Mr. Toms or myself, I do have a quantity of them here uh, in uh, Northern Ireland. There's a short biography of Dr. Safar at the beginning, and there's also some pictures that will be uh, of interest to you that we've been enabled uh, to include uh, within it. So I want to highlight that uh, to you. Uh, there's a little leaflet that our secretary has produced uh, to highlight the volumes Israel and the Nations, The Hope of Christ's Second Coming, uh, Champion for the Truth, and 1,000 Bible Questions. Uh, each of those are five pounds, but the special offer is uh, that you can have uh, any four for 15 uh, pounds. So that's a very good offer indeed. Uh, give you an opportunity to be able to secure or to purchase uh, those volumes uh, for your, yourself. So if you're interested in those, any of them uh, singly, or the special offer of any four uh, for £15, uh, do contact Mr. Toms uh, about that. Just to remind you that the meeting next month is on Friday the 22nd of October at 7 o'clock in the evening. The subject will be the testimony of Zechariah. In the will of the Lord, I'll be speaking at that meeting uh, myself. Uh, we do still expect the meeting to be broadcast. Uh, do remember that matter in prayer for us, that the Lord will guide uh, very clearly. Uh, we'll keep you informed 
with regard to the meetings, if there's any change uh, to the format. But we do ask you uh, to help us just in making the broadcast, making uh, the meetings known to your family, your friends, and to others in your fellowship uh, as well. Just very briefly, I'd like to make some uh, chairman's remarks. I'd like to base them uh, upon the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 25. Just a very short, very clear exhortation from the Apostle. Brethren, pray uh, for us. I want to emphasize the importance of prayer, the importance of prayer for us all uh, generally in the Christian life. It's vital for us to take time to pray uh, every day. We want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Don't neglect your private devotions, uh, your quiet time, that time of uh, private worship uh, with the Lord. Remember how vital that is to to growth and grace, to our walk with God, uh, to going on with the Lord. But I want to to take this appeal and set it before you uh, today especially, thinking of the work of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. And we want to make the appeal, brethren, uh, pray for us. We do need the prayers of uh, the Lord's people. That that is true in the work of God as a whole, regardless of what department of the Lord's work we're found in. We do need the prayers uh, of others, the prayer support of the church, the prayer support of uh, God's people. So I want to encourage you to be at the prayer meeting in your local church. If ever there was a day that our land needed the prayers of God's people, it's the day in which we live. Remember the old chorus that says that as the prayers go up, then the blessings uh, come down. And I want to encourage you, brethren and sisters, uh, to be mindful of the ministry of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony in your prayers. Maybe you never thought of that before. Some, maybe it's something that uh, you've overlooked. But we want to stress you, we need your prayers. This testimony now has been going on for over a hundred years almost 103. And we rejoice in the Lord's goodness, in his faithfulness, in his provision. We can say of a truth, it's been uh, the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. It has only been the Lord and his hand upon this witness that has preserved it and prospered it uh, to this very day. And we want to give the Lord the praise for that. But as we think of the future, uh, we need the Lord to continue with us, uh, we need the Lord's help and blessing. So I want to ask you to pray with us. Take time to pray for this work and all that are involved in it. Remember our secretary, uh, Mr. Toms. Remember his dear wife, too, as uh, she gives vital support to him. Uh, remember our committee. Remember our trustees as they oversee the work. Uh, pray for the committee as they, they meet. Uh, the decisions that have to be made that God will guide, that the Lord will give wisdom, very clear direction, that the Lord's blessing uh, will rest upon this work in the future in an even greater way than it has uh, done in the past, that new opportunities uh, would be opened up to us, new doors of opportunity for the presentation of the truth of God, especially in relation uh, to the prophetic scriptures. Pray there will be a greater interest uh, in church circles, among ministers, among the Lord's people, in the great subject of the second coming uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, too, our literature. We have a very full stock uh, of literature. Every year we seek to uh, publish new books 
uh, new leaflets, new booklets uh, that we feel are appropriate for the times in which we're found that will help give light and understanding uh, to the Lord's people. Those go forth not just in our own land. Remember that we have uh, representatives in Australia, in New Zealand, in Canada. We have great interest uh, in uh, the, the, the booklets and leaflets that we produce in other countries, uh, in Africa, uh, out there in the Philippines as well, in Asia. Uh, Mr. Toms is continually posting out literature. We're very thankful for that. Uh, even supporters uh, in North America, in the United States of America. So it's very much an international ministry, a testimony uh, in which we're involved. And we need the Lord's help. We need the Lord's blessing. He, he has told us very clearly, without me you can do nothing. So we need the Lord to help us and to bless us. So we just appeal, brethren, pray for us. Take us upon your heart. Take this work upon your heart and pray much uh, that the Lord will use it uh, even to help God's people and to, to give them light and give them direction in their understanding uh, of the things relating to uh, the return again of our Lord Jesus uh, Christ. Let me just mention that the speaker at the, the meeting this afternoon is our secretary, uh, Mr. Stephen Toms from Chelmsford. We take the opportunity uh, in the broadcast just to thank our brother uh, for all his labours, uh, his diligence, how efficient he is in his responsibilities uh, as secretary, uh, and all that he does to help forward uh, the work of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. We want him and his dear wife to know that we appreciate that uh, very much. We're thankful the Lord has spared them for so long to be with us. And we've emphasised the, the need of prayer. Please remember them especially uh, in your prayers. Our brother's subject this evening is uh, the testimony of uh, Zephaniah. Please remember uh, the meeting again tonight. There'll be another broadcast uh, this evening at 7 p.m. when Pastor Martin Humphrey uh, will be the speaker. Uh, Pastor Humphrey will be speaking on uh, the testimony of Haggai. So if you can, uh, please join us and listen to the broadcast uh, again this evening at uh, 7 o'clock. So just before Mr. Toms comes to bring his message, uh, we're going to uh, sing together again, Immortal Honours Rest on uh, Jesus' Head. So let's sing this great uh, hymn of William Gadsby's uh, together, please.
The subject for this year and last year for that matter at our meetings has been um, by the mouth of all the prophets. The emphasis being that all the prophets spoke about Christ. That's a quotation, of course, from the book of the Acts, what what Peter said. And um, what Peter was emphasising was that all the prophets spoke of Christ and they all spoke about his second coming. Now, we do not read perhaps in every prophet's words things about the second coming. Perhaps we do. But um, there are references to the second coming as our studies have shown. But they all spoke. And our subject for tonight is Zephaniah. And Zephaniah was a prophet who definitely spoke about the second coming very much so. So this is a, a good study for us. I want to I wanted to take it in uh, under three headings, and the first one is a summary of the book. It's good to to have a, an idea of what the book is about. When I was young, I had the benefit of learning from Mister Dalling, who was a, a Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony preacher. But he was also principal of the Simplified School of Bible Study. And he used to recommend to read a whole book through so you've got the message of the book, the complete message of the book. And that's a very, very good thing to do. It's not always easy with some of the longer books, but Zephaniah is a smaller book, so it's very, very easy to just read it through in one sitting. It won't take many minutes. And that's an easier way, rather than just reading a chapter, it's an easier way to get the message of the book. So that's the first little thought, the summary of the book. The second little thought was the sovereignty of the Lord because Zephaniah emphasises that God has a purpose and he will fulfil that purpose. No, nothing, nothing can stop God fulfilling that purpose. And then the third thing is the salvation of the nation because he goes to great lengths at the end of his book to speak about what God has in store for the nation of Israel, the people whom he has chosen to be his people. And that's a wonderful little account there in chapter 3. So there are the three little thoughts that I wanted to emphasise. A summary of the book, the uh, sovereignty of the Lord and the salvation of the nation. If you look at the book of Zephaniah, and I hope you have got a Bible in front of you and do look at the do look at the book, um, you will see the the prophecy starts with the words, "The word of Jehovah." You will know that when that word Lord or the word God is in capital letters in our authorized version, it's always the name of God, Jehovah. So what Zephaniah is saying is here. What he is speaking is the word of Jehovah. It's God's word that he is speaking. It's not his own word. It's not his own thoughts. It's not his own reasonings. It's um, not his own ideas. It's not even his own desires. It's, it's the word of God. And God gave it to him. And that's what he says there, which came unto Zephaniah. God gave him that word. 
Now, I know and you know that <clears throat> every book in this Bible is inspired by God. Zephaniah is no different in that sense from any other book. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. But Zephaniah just emphasises the point that these words are the words of God. He is not speaking like so many men do. They do today and they did in his day. Certainly they did because we'll come to it a little later I suppose that there were many men speaking their own ideas and their own words speaking what they called prophecies and even mentioning prophecies of Jehovah and yet they weren't faithfully speaking the word of God at all. And then we read here that about his genealogy it says there Zephaniah was the son of Cushai now Cushai was therefore Zephaniah's father and then it says he was the son of Gedaliah so Gedaliah was Zephaniah's grandfather and he was the son of Amariah so Amariah was Zephaniah's great-grandfather and he was the son of Hiskiah so he was Zephaniah's great-great-grandfather that to me is very interesting because there's no other prophet gives such a genealogy if you read all the books of the prophets you will find I think Zechariah gives his father and his grandfather but I think no other prophets go further back than their father and many of the prophets don't even say what their father's name was. That could indicate that uh, Zephaniah came from a, a great family, a good family. In fact, some have suggested that that Hezekiah, who was great-great-grandfather of Zephaniah, was in fact Hezekiah the king. I would be rather doubtful of that, as I think that it would have said Hezekiah the king but still, we don't know, but it's interesting that that is so. And we notice also from verse 1 that he preached in the days of Josiah. Now they were momentous days. Josiah set about a program of reform. And as I was saying, there were prophets who were preaching contrary to the word of Jehovah because Zephaniah would have been contemporary with Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied in the days of Josiah and some subsequent kings and he found that there were lots of prophets who spoke wrongly, professed to be the Lord's servants when they were not. Perhaps we ought to say also in the introduction that this prophecy of Zephaniah talks a lot about the day of Jehovah. You'll see those words in verse 7 of chapter 1. The day of Jehovah is at hand. Verse 8, the day of Jehovah's sacrifice. Verse 9, in the same day. Verse 10, in that day. And so on. In verse 14, it's called the great day of Jehovah. And there it's called again the day of Jehovah. In verse 15, it said there's a day of wrath, of trouble and distress and so on. So, Zephaniah's prophecy is very much about a certain day. 
and that is described as the day of Jehovah. Well, the day of Jehovah in the Bible generally refers to the day when the Lord Jesus Christ shall come again. He is coming again, that's certain, and that's often called the day of Jehovah. There are a few times when that word may refer to a, a longer period or, or it's a day commencing with a day of 24 hours. Like we sometimes use the term, we might say, in Queen Victoria's day or something like that. But in the main, we think of it as being a day of 24 hours. Like we do the days of creation. They were six days, six literal days of what we now call 24 hours. And that is the day, the kind of day that Zephaniah is looking forward to. He's talking about the day of Jehovah. That day will come. And uh, I have the privilege of having in front of me William Wildman's Bible. Now, anybody who knows anything about William Wildman will know he was a great Bible student. Some of you may be acquainted with him because we recently produced, well, um, in, in this millennium anyway, we produced this book of a thousand Bible questions by William Wildman. It's a very useful book to have. William Wildman didn't write the thousand Bible questions as such. He wrote ten books of a hundred Bible questions. But we've put the ten together and uh, made it a thousand Bible questions. In point of fact, there's one extra, so it's a thousand and one. So those who buy the book are getting quite a bargain. But it's a good book, and um, anybody who reads this will realise that William Wildman was a great student of the Bible. On the front cover, as it was in on his ten little booklets, it says, designed to encourage Bible study. Now, I sent this out for review when we published it, and uh, one reviewer said he could think of better ways to study the Bible, which I thought to be rather a foolish remark. don't want to be critical, but um, the book doesn't claim to be a book to help Bible study. It's to encourage Bible study. When you read the questions, it helps you to realise there's a lot of things in the Bible that you don't know, and it encourages you to read it more and more. So I like the book. But William Wildman was um, a convener, that means he was on the committee in the early days of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. But he was a great Bible student. And as I say, I have his Bible in front of me and he wrote many lovely notes in this Bible. And it's very, very interesting to see them. And amongst other things, he says here, a little note, that that word day is mentioned 14 times in chapter 1. Of course, it's mentioned in the subsequent chapters, but that's how it is in chapter 1. It's mentioned 14 times. So, Zephaniah was speaking of a definite day, and that day is, of course, the day of the second coming. So, um, I'd like to look at the first little point that I had, the summary of the book. Now, I suppose you could say that the first chapter and the first three verses of chapter 2 deal with Israel 
speak about their sin and so on. The other part of chapter 2 from verses 4 down to the end deal with God's judgments on other nations, Gentile nations. And then chapter 3 deals in the main, certainly in the latter part of it anyway, with God's purposes of blessing for the Israel nation. That would be a very, very rough summary. But, in the current number of watching and waiting, and if you have it, I wouldn't, I would be quite glad if you picked it up and looked at it. Because in this current number, we have a, a summary given by Pastor John Hunt Lynn. Now, Pastor John Hunt Lynn um, was the first chairman of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. He was one of the original members. He was at the prayer meeting when the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony was formed and he stayed as chairman until he died in February 1941. I can remember Mr Lynn. I would have been quite young, of course, in those days, but I do remember him quite well. And I think I can say that Mr Lynn had a great influence on my life inasmuch as he not only married my mother and father, but he was their pastor. And uh, much of Mr Lynn's teaching was teaching that my father loved and the things that he taught me. <coughs> so, really, a lot of the things that I've learned has been the teaching of Mr Lynn. And I'm very thankful for that. Mr Lynn had the advantage of being a master of Hebrew and Greek so that he was able to explain words very ably and well. And he, he was a dear, loving man. Mr. Frommo described him in Watching and Waiting in 1941 as a little giant. I suppose he said little because he wasn't a tall man, he was quite a small man. But he certainly was a giant in spiritual understanding. He had a, a wonderful knowledge. There would be few, if any, alive today who had such a knowledge of the Word of God as Mr. Lynn had. He was a, a great man. At least that's how I view him, and I'm thankful for what I did know of him. He took my paternal grandfather's funeral, and I can remember that very, very well. And I remember, too, the last day I saw him, which was the day the Blitz started, the 7th of September 1940. And, uh, of course, it was only in the next February, just a few months after, that he was taken to glory. But still, that's nothing to do with Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony, or it's nothing to do with Zephaniah anyway. But we have got this summary in the current Watching and Waiting. And if you have it, it's, it's a good summary. You may think I'm prejudiced, but I just feel it's a good summary of, of the book of Zephaniah. It's not quite as simple as the one I gave, just three kind of parts. But he gives eight sections. He's, that's how he says it. And in chapter 1, in the verse 6 verses, he gives them as a preliminary section concerning the destruction of idolatry and idolaters. And he speaks about that. If you care to look at it there, you, you will see in verse 3 the word stumbling blocks. 
Well, it's verse in verse 2 says, I will consume all things from off the land, saith Jehovah. I will consume man and beast, I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks. And if you have a margin in your Bible, you will see that a more literal translation of that word stumbling blocks is the word idols. He will destroy the idols with the wicked and will cut off man from off the land, saith Jehovah. And he goes on to say, I will stretch out my hand against the the um, remnant of Baal, that was idol worship, and of the Cymrians, Mr. Lynn says in this um, summary, the Cymrians are the priests of idolatry. Well, so they were. So God is speaking about the destruction of idols, and there, there were idols. Solomon introduced idols into the nation, and they were carried on, certainly in the northern kingdom after it split, after Solomon's time, the idols will, God says he will go in to destroy them. And in that verse 5 he talks about those that swear by Malcolm. And Mr. Lynn says that Malcolm is Molech. Again, an idolatrous God. A worship of an idolatrous God. So, that is what God has said. He will destroy. And Mr. Lynn's made note there, see 2 Kings 23. Well, if you look at 2 Kings 23, we won't do it now, but it's good to sit down and do it. Do it for yourself and look at it. 2 Kings 23 shows the reform that Josiah brought in. And it seems to me that Zephaniah was probably one who had a great influence in bringing about that reform. But Josiah brought in the reform and he did destroy the idols. We, we read it there, what he did to the various idols including, of course, the um, the uh, calf that Jeroboam I made when he snatched the kingdom from Rehoboam. And then it was that he he set up this false worship in Dan and in Bethel, and the man of God from Judah spoke against it and said that Josiah, by name, <laughs> would be the man who would destroy it. And that's exactly what happened. Josiah did destroy it. And we read all about that in 2 Kings chapter 23. So it's good to go through 2 Kings 23. That's what God is speaking about here through his servant Zephaniah, the destruction of the idols. Section 2, Mr. Lynn gives us from verses 7 to 13. And he does say about the day of Jehovah foretold. Well, I've just said the day of Jehovah is mentioned a lot of times in this first chapter and indeed throughout the book. And Zephaniah is talking about a definite day. And that day is, of course, the um, day of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the day referred to mostly when you read that phrase in the Bible, the day of Jehovah. It could be the start of a day, um, using over a longer period in a few cases, as we sometimes might use the phrase, like um, in Queen Victoria's day, something happened. But um, normally it's speaking about a specific day of 24 hours, as it does in Genesis 1. God created things, first day, second day, third day, all a period of 24 hours. So, 
that's um that's what Stephanara is speaking about here the day of the Lord foretold and then he uses the Mr. Lin uses the word adumbrated I think that's a word that's not in popular use these days I don't hear many people use it but it really means uh, faintly represent so what he's saying here is the story in 2 Kings 23 and in 24 for that matter in later days is only a faint representation of what God will do in the day of the Lord when he destroys idolatry. There's a time when God's judgment will fall on idolaters and upon idolatry. There's a little note there too about verse 8 you might be interested in where it says about those who are clothed with strange apparel. Mr. Lynn quotes Henderson there and says the strange or foreign attire in verse 8 indicates that the rich violated the ordinance regarding national custom, costume. And he refers to Numbers 15, verses 37 to 40, which if you take the trouble to look up, you will see what God's people were to wear. They wore the costly and showy raiment of idolaters. They wanted to be like idolaters. And it says, with whom they could the more easily mingle. Now, isn't that exactly what happens today? We have people who call themselves Christians, but they want to look like worldly people, and they want to mingle with worldly people. Well, this is something which is spoken of here in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 8. And God will deal with all that. The third section Mr. Lim gives is from verses 14 to 18, where he says, the day of Jehovah more fully announced. Well, it does say a lot about the day of Jehovah. There we read about it. It's going to be a day of trembling and desolation and darkness and gloominess and so on, all those things. Um, I'm rather interested in verse 18. I have to confess that I haven't preached much from Zephaniah all my life. But I do remember preaching on chapter 1, verse 18, way back in the 50s. And I, I think it's a, a principle that needs to be said. It says there, their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of Jehovah's wrath. And it is a reminder of the fact that all the riches that any of us accumulate won't help at all to deliver us when we come to stand before God. We need something more, something better than silver and gold. We need the blood and righteousness, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is an important point, isn't it? We read in the New Testament about the rich man. The rich man who died and in hell he lift up his voice being in agony. What an awful thing to have riches and popularity. And riches perhaps bring popularity. Have all those things here on earth and go into a Christless eternity, go into eternal damnation. That is a very solemn and awful thought. Anyway, the fourth section Mr. Lynn gives is chapter 2, the whole chapter. And uh, he says the first three verses are an appeal to the remnant of Israel, and they are, gather yourselves together, he says there, and... Uh, 
before the day of Jehovah's anger fall upon you, seek Jehovah. That's what verse 3 says. All the meek of the earth. There's, there's the appeal to the remnant of the nations. Judgment denounced on various nations, or various nations, yes, that's going on, isn't it? That's later from verse 4 onwards. Various nations that have been hostile to Israel. That's verses 4 to 15. Actually, if you look at those verses, verse 4 deals with um, Gaza and Ashkelon. Well, Ashkelon and Gaza and Ashdod, they're all part of the Philistines. Ekron and even um, Ashdod, which is mentioned later on, or Ashkelon, was it? Down in verse 7. And we do read there in verse 5 anyway, the land of the Philistines. So God's judgment will be that on that section. And then he says in verse 8 about Moab and Ammon, which we know, of course, to be the land of uh, Jordan. Now, people of Jordan. God's judgment will fall on Moab and Ammon. And it's a solemn judgment. It's likened to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we read in verse 12 of the Ethiopians. And then in the next verse, verse 13, we read about the destruction of the Assyrians and Nineveh. So all these nations round about um, Israel will come under the judgment of God. It's interesting to see, really, isn't it, that the the Palestinians, or the Philistines, as they're called here, were called then, are on the east. And the um, <clears throat> Moabites and the Ammonites, or Jordan, is on the west. And the Ethiopians are down in the south. And Nineveh is up in the north. In fact, it does say there about the north country in one of those verses. We had a, a series of talks about um, nine or ten years ago on God's purpose for various nations. We didn't deal with every nation, I'm afraid, but we dealt with some. And we later put them into booklet form. And we had one on Israel, and this prophecy is very much about Israel, and that's a, a very interesting little booklet. When they were printed, we found them to be very popular and they're very good, but we've still got plenty over. So if you like some, you can have them. Um, there was one on Gaza. That's a very interesting booklet, God's Purpose for Gaza. And then there's one on Jordan, God's Purpose for Jordan, which is, of course, Moab and Ammon and Edom in the main. And one on Iraq, which is um, Nineveh and... Uh, Assyria, but also goes down to Babylon and, and the south. Iraq covers all that now. I'm not saying that these these are preachers and we might say writers as they've been put into book form. I'm not saying they all referred to Zephaniah. I don't suppose many of them did because there's so many other scriptures and none of the preachers could talk about all the scriptures that talked about it. But but God does talk about these nations and God has a purpose for these nations and. That's a good little series to have. There are 12 in the series altogether. If you haven't got it, I would recommend you get it. It's a good series. Anyway, 
that's what we read here. There's judgment denounced on various nations. And um, it says there, Mr. Lynn says, that have been hostile to Israel. And then the little remark, the travail of the decree of wrath, before it bring forth, provides the remnant made meek in the land. In the land. Um, in our authorised version here, in that in that verse, it says the word earth. But Mr. Wren says that it's the land. And in point of fact, uh, I did look that up in uh, Young's and in Strong's Concordance, actually. I don't know whether my pronunciation would be right, but it's the word apites. But you do find in... Um, Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, that same word is translated land. He says, I will actually consume all things from off that land. Same word, land. And then in verse 3 at the end of it, I will cut off man from off the land. And the land, of course, refers to the land of Israel. Not the whole earth as we know it today, America and Australia and so on. So Mr. Lynn points that out there that it's it's the land. The the, the remnant, the people of Israel, will have the land. Um, they shall be hid from the wind and tempest of that day. That's lovely, isn't it? And he refers to chapter um or in this chapter, chapter 2, verse 3, it uses the word hid there. It may be, ye shall be hid from the day of Jehovah's anger. And Mr. Lim points out that it's the same word as covert. I expect covert isn't a, land, a word that's used a lot these days, but it really means covered or protected. They'll be protected. And Mr. Lim refers to Isaiah 32, verse 2. We won't look at that now, but it's the same sort of being covered. It's interesting in a way because the word Zephaniah, Zephan, does mean to be hid. So that Zephaniah's message fits in with his name that there is a time when Israel will be hid. They're not hid very much now, are they? They're hated of nations. Still are. They've got enemies all around them. But they will be hid, they will be covered, they will be protected. That's a wonderful thought. And then Mr. Lindsay's section 5 is the exposure of Israel's sin. That's very interesting really, isn't it, as he talks there. What does he say? That, well, he says the people who get it. But you see her sin and the way of apostasy really in verse 2. Verse 1 says, woe to that... Uh, to the filthy and the polluted, to the oppressing city. Look what it says about There are four knots in verse 2. She obeyed not the voice. That is, of course, the voice of God. She received not correction. If you read the book of Proverbs through, you will see that's a foolish thing. But that was true of the Israel nation. Jerusalem is talking about. She received not correction. She trusted not in Jehovah 
and she drew not near to her God. Four steps in apostasy. And what a description of Christendom today. God forbid that we should be ever caught up in that kind of thing. And then as Mr Lynn mentions, it talks about the people that are involved. Verse 3 says, the princes, her judges, her prophets, that's verse 4, her priests, all these persons who were leaders of the people were unreliable people, turning the people away from God, not to hear his voice, not to receive his instruction, not to draw nigh to him, not seeking him. And that's the state of things. So that was all very, very sad. But that's what it's been, of course, through today, all through the time. And Israel is still in a state of apostasy. And will be until the time when the Messiah comes. Yes, he says there are four stages in her apostasy and her frowardness. And then he goes on to verse 6. And perhaps we couldn't look at all that a little bit more. But still, uh, verse 6, section 6, just deals with verse 8, which is really a call to prayer. But that's the start of blessing that I want to talk about later. A call to prayer pending destruction of her, of her enemies. And then he gives a, a more literal translation. Nevertheless, wait for me, wait for me. That's what God is saying to Israel, wait for me. And it's interesting to see that he does say there, in that verse there, about the fire of his indignation falling upon the Gentile peoples. You know, that little phrase, the fire of his indignation, comes in chapter 1, in one of those earlier verses. And uh, talking about Israel. But here in chapter 3, it's talking about the Gentile nations. How the fire of his indignation will fall upon them. Him, them, yes. So that, that's very interesting. Then we'll leave section 7 and section 8 till a little later on. I would just like to talk for a little while about the, the um, sovereignty of the Lord. You know, our society is called the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. And those original conveners or committee members, as we like to call them today, they called themselves conveners in those days, they believed that God was sovereign. And they believed that he was sovereign in grace. Mr Payne often used to say that um, the whole testimony is built on God's sovereign grace. And that is very true. If we forsake God's sovereign grace, we've lost everything. There are lots of teachings around us today which emphasise man and what man does. Of course, modern modernism emphasises works all the time. And Romanism does the same kind of thing. But amongst the evangelicals or neo-evangelicals, there's a great emphasis on, on man having to do something to be saved. Whereas the Bible teaches us, this book teaches us, that if a man is saved, it's God's work. What Jonah was brought to cry in the whale's belly is something which is very true. Salvation is of Jehovah. 
Jonah couldn't do anything to save himself when he was in the whale's belly. He just had to believe that God would save him. And God did, of course, save him, physically. But that's how it is with men spiritually. We can do nothing to save ourselves. It must be the work of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of God. They're spiritually discerned. He cannot know them, doesn't know them. But uh, God is sovereign in his grace and we, we try to emphasise that. We may not like following a man, but we're not ashamed to be called Calvinists. But um, we believe in the sovereignty of God. And, and certainly Zephaniah shows us here that God is a sovereign God. You know, Mr. Fromo once said to me, Mr. Fromo was the first secretary of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony, and he once said to me way back in the 1950s, he said, I like talking about prophecy and God's purposes because it shows that God does have a purpose and that he works that purpose out. Now, these little books that I've been talking about, God has got a purpose for all these nations. And it doesn't matter what the present people do in the world. These people who are coming to power in the East, whatever power they might think they can exercise, God's purpose will be worked out perfectly. And what God has said, he will do. There's, there is no doubt about that. Things that God has said will certainly come to pass. That is the sovereignty of God. And of course, that is the um, sovereignty of God that we've been talking about in a way when we talked about the man of God from Judah coming up to Bethel and saying that Josiah would destroy it. It would be Josiah. It would be a man in the line of David. And Jeroboam hated the line of David. He wanted to destroy the line of David if he could. But he couldn't because God was with them. But there's hosts of illustrations in the scriptures where God did precisely what he said he would do. An obvious example early in the Bible is that of, of Sarah. Sarah never thought that she could have a son. She was too old. Abraham was too old. But God said they would have a son and what time it would come. And Isaac was born. He, Abraham found it hard to believe. He, he asked that Eliezer might be in the place or even Ishmael, he said, but... That wasn't good enough. God was going to bring Isaac, and God did bring Isaac. And we read those words plainly in Genesis. God did for Sarah as he had said. And that is the sovereignty of God. He does exactly what he says. And what he says he will do to the nations, he will do to the nations, all of them. God has a purpose for the nations. And God will do exactly what he has said here. I could bore you, couldn't I? With, with taking you through this book and just saying about the wills and the showers. You could go through it on your own later on. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. I will. Verse 3. I will. Verse 4. I will. And so it goes on. Verse 8. It shall. Verse 9. Will I. Verse 12, it shall, and a little, little further on, I will. And then in verse 13, they shall. It's all the time, and it's going on right the way through the book, and you, 
we certainly get it here in chapter 3 where we're talking about Israel verse 9 says will I turn to the people verse 11 they then that they shall shout they'll put their trust verse 11 again I will take away again thou shalt no more be haughty verse 12 I will and later in verse 12 they shall trust and verse 13 the remnant of Israel shall <laughs> it's all the time underline it if you will you'll find it goes right through at the last verse in verse 20 I will make you um, <clears throat> a name and a praise among all people so that's what God says because he is sovereign it's all going to happen everything that God says in this book will happen it amazes me that there are great theologians and good men who try and answer away things they think it could never happen but if God says a thing will happen it will happen that's certainty because God is sovereign and he wouldn't say a thing if he didn't mean it we've emphasised through the years God says what he means and means what he says God has said so many things here in Zephaniah so that leads us to our last little point the salvation of the nation and we get that in these verses verses 8 to 20 God says all these things therefore we'll wait ye upon me that's what he says therefore wait ye upon me just wait for God's time to come thou wilt receive till the day that I rise to the prey for my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation even all my fierce anger for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy I'll mention that later it's in, it's in verse 18 the land shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy but here it's talking about the nations being devoured by the fire of God's jealousy for then will I turn to the people of pure language that word language you might see in the margin there could be more literally translated lip it'll give them a clean lip you know Isaiah said in chapter 6 I'm a man of unclean lips but God will give the Israel nation clean lips in this day of the Lord when they shall see him whom they have pierced and shall mourn that's repentance they'll repent because of him God will give them a, a clean lip. They may call upon the name of Jehovah to serve him with one consent. Isn't that lovely? That's what Israel will do then. Serve him with one consent. And that day, verse 11, shalt thou not be ashamed of all thy doings wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride and thou shalt no more be haughty. What a wonderful thing. Now does Mr. Lynn say something about that? 
restoration and conversion of the remnant. A premium mount is made of the blessing of the peoples which will immediately follow Israel's deliverance. Then will I return to the people of pure language. And then he says about this no longer haughty. What a wonderful thing. No longer pride. I think the Jews today are very much recognised as being rather haughty. But uh, they won't be then. They'll be lowly. The remnant shall become humbled. The authorised version says the word afflicted, but the more literal translation would be humbled. Humbled and poor. So that's very good. And then section 8, 16 to 20, really gives the ultimate blessing. What a wonderful thing that will be. Sing, says verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion. And can we say that when God says Zion, he means Zion. Shout, O Israel. And when God says Israel, he means Israel. How many people talk about Romans? He is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Or not all are Israel which are of Israel. But those verses don't say anything about Gentiles. They're talking about Israel and the people in Israel. People who are born Jews. Israel means Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem means Jerusalem. Jehovah hath taken away the judgments. He hath cast out the outline enemy. The king of Israel, even Jehovah, he'll be the king. David the king. He'll have that name David. David will be the king of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the, in the midst of thee. Now that's a wonderful thing. Again, Mr. Wilman's put a note in his Bible here to say that word, in the midst, comes five times in this little section. You can look for those five times, but here it is. Jehovah will be in the midst of his people. He'll be there with them. Israel. They shall not see evil any more. What a change for the Jewish nation. They've seen evil for centuries. They shall not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, which means Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, and that means Zion, let not thine hands be slack. Jehovah thy God, in the midst of thee there it is again. He is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. God will have joy in the Israel nation. Of course, he does have joy over his people now, and you've probably heard many preachers take this verse and refer it to the church. And there is application. That is absolutely true, but that's not what the verse is saying. It's talking about Israel in a future day. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I don't know whether you ever think of God singing, but that's what we read here. He'll joy over thee with singing. Singing for joy, for the blessing that will come to Israel. You know, this section starts in verse 14, telling Zion to sing. Well, God himself will be singing, and we'll want to sing with him. Uh, one man, some time ago, I think he was trying to poke fun at my belief in the millennium, and uh, he said, what will they sing in the millennium? 
And what hymn book were they using? He named three hymn books. And I wrote back to him and I said, well, those three hymn books weren't in existence when the Bible was written, so they're not mentioned in the Bible. I don't know what hymn books they'd have, if they have hymn books at all. But I know they're singing because it says, and I quoted Isaiah 32, is it, where they should come to Zion with singing. It's going to happen. Well, here's Zephaniah, the same kind of thing, doesn't he? They're to come with singing. They will be singing and rejoicing. God's people love to sing now. We don't like this lockdown, do we? Because it stops us singing. Or they've tried to stop us singing. But we sing. And we think that's right to sing because the psalmist often says, sing. And he even says, sing aloud. But all these wonderful verses, his mighty will say, I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly. And here's all these I wills again. Look at verse 19. Behold, at that time, I will undo all that afflict thee. And I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out. And I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. What a difference that will be for the Israel nation. What a wonderful thing when Israel recognises the true Messiah and then know his blessing. That time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. And I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, says Jehovah. God will do it. You know, it's going to happen. Israel will be blessed. It doesn't matter how much these amillennialists might say it won't happen. It will happen. God has said it. God will bless Israel. Why do you think Israel's been kept all through these centuries? A nation scattered and peeled. Yet God has kept them. In 1948, they returned to make an Israel state. They're not all back in their own land, but God will bring them and God will bless them. Whatever ministers or theologians and people may say, it's what the Bible says that counts, and God will do it. All those wills and shalls he absolutely intends to do. So we're very, very thankful that God has a purpose for Israel. And uh, if anybody read that book Israel in the future it shows you something of those purposes but here Zephaniah shows the purposes too he will make them a name he will make them a praise there was something I wanted to say about that last verse but it's gone far well I was just going to say this wasn't I <laughs> when has that happened has it happened in the past? Has Israel been a praise in all the earth? Haven't they been hated and despised? And people have sought to exterminate them? People like Napoleon and Hitler? Well, going back further to Haman, the Old Testament times. But God says that he will make them. He will make them a praise in the earth. It will happen. And if you say, well, it doesn't refer to Israel, it refers to the church, when has it happened to the church? When has the church been a praise in the earth? I've never known it. I've never heard of it. But God will do it. Because the Bible says so. And Zephaniah preached the word of Jehovah. We do want to sincerely thank Mr. Toms uh, for the message that he's brought. We rejoice in his ministry to us 
uh, in the meeting this afternoon. We're thankful the Lord has given the brother, our brother, the health and strength uh, to be able to continue in the preaching, the ministry of God's Word. We rejoice in that, particularly with all the knowledge that he has of the Word of God and the prophetic scriptures. And we pray the Lord will continue uh, to keep our brother in health and strength, that he'll be able to uh, to minister uh, for quite a few years uh, yet uh, to come. But we pray the Lord will bless the message that he has brought uh, to every heart uh, that has heard it. The closing hymn uh, for the service is Join All the Glorious Names of Wisdom, Love and Power. So we invite you to, to join with us. Let's join together uh, as we praise the Lord in this, our closing hymn.
Let's just seek the Lord together in prayer. We'll close the meeting in prayer and commit ourselves into his hands. Father, we do praise thee for your faithfulness. We thank you for how you've overruled, even in these last months, to enable these meetings, the messages, uh, to go much further uh, than they have done in recent years. We think of folk from all around the world been able to join us for the broadcasts and listen to the messages. We pray that they will be helped and encouraged. We pray that they'll be blessed and led on with yourself. Keep your hand upon our secretary. We thank you for him. Continue to use him and to make him a channel of blessing. And Lord, be with us again tonight. We remember the, the evening service of the conference. We pray again that the hand of God in blessing and in power uh, will rest upon that meeting. So we're asking thee now to part us in thy fear with thy favour, and may the blessing of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be our abiding portion, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.